Welcome to Unsupervised Learning, a security, AI, and meaning-focused podcast that looks at how best to thrive as humans in a post-AI world. It combines original ideas, analysis, and mental models to bring not just the news, but why it matters and how to respond. All right, welcome to episode 386. This is Daniel Meisler. Starting off with my work, I wrote an essay titled Human Immortality Using LLMs, and I've already got some extraordinary feedback from this. I sent it out, I believe, on Friday or Saturday, maybe even Sunday, I'm not sure, but sent it out over the weekend and have got tons of great responses. Really appreciate that. But it's a new essay on why using LLMs to back ourselves up is closer and more realistic than most might think discusses human identity variants, indeterminism, and human preferences, change over time, and more. And the next one is I went on the Security Weekly show with Adrian Sanabria and went to talk about how AI will impact the enterprise. It was a solo conversation, and I really enjoyed it, and you should check it out. All right, security news. Verizon DBIR 2023 analysis. So every year I do this analysis of the DBIR report and provide a summary and analysis. So here is the analysis for this year. So takeaways, social engineering attacks are up with business email compromise and ransomware leading the charge. Most breaches involve human error and external actors, and the primary motives are still financial. Business email compromise attacks have almost doubled and represent more than 50% of incidents in the social engineering pattern. 74% of all breaches involve human error. 83% involve external actors. Financial motives underlie 95% of breaches. Ransomware is present in 24% of reported breaches and remains a significant threat. Log4j's vulnerability, while initially concerning, was less prominent in breaches than anticipated, but still requires attention. Stolen credentials, phishing, and exploitation of vulnerabilities are the top attack methods for gaining access to organizational systems. More than 32% of all Log4j scanning activities occurred within just 30 days of its release. Despite the heightened focus on Log4j, exploitation of vulnerabilities remained relatively stable in incidents and saw a decrease in their presence in breaches. Banks and exchanges have become prime targets for cyber criminals, with a fourfold increase in cryptocurrency-based attacks compared to previous years. I wonder how that's going to stack up, though, because there's just less cryptocurrency stuff. And organizations of all sizes and industries remain vulnerable to ransomware. Ransomware is present in 62% of incidents involving organized crime actors and 59% of financially motivated incidents. My analysis here, I found it interesting that human error was so high on the list. Not so much surprising, but interesting. It makes sense that BC is so dominant since that's where the money is. And it's also notable that only 5% of breaches are non-financially oriented, meaning most of the movie plot stuff is a tiny percentage of attacks compared to good old-fashioned money. Ransomware still dominates the scene, which makes sense because of how mature it's become as a business. I knew we were in trouble when we started seeing specialized economies of entry, pivoting, exfil, and actual customer service departments. That's when I knew we were in real trouble with the ransomware stuff. And that's been going on for years. 
And I still can't shake the idea of ransomware being like a natural burns in forests. Like they suck a lot, but maybe they harden us against things that are even worse, which are like directed, you know, APT, you know, lowercase APT attacks that could have much worse impact. And we got links here to the full report for the DBIR. Another great episode or issue from them. All right, Google has fixed a vulnerability that's a zero day in Chrome, making it the third such exploit addressed this year. And they have not released details about this one, which is unusual and a little bit frightening, honestly. North Korean group Lazarus has been linked to the recent atomic wallet attack resulting in the theft of $35 million in crypto. Blockchain experts at Elliptic traced the stolen funds and attributed the attack, attributed, not attributed, put the emphasis on the wrong syllable, and attributed the attack to Lazarus with a high level of confidence. Unleash your business potential with Vanta's cutting-edge security compliance. Unlock the secret to rapid growth and success with Vanta the revolutionary automated compliance platform that propels your business forward, leaving behind the drudgery of manual processes. As a podcast listener, you get an exclusive $1,000 off. Do not miss this opportunity. With Vanta, you will get lightning fast compliance, automate up to 90% of SOC 2, ISO 27001, GDPR, HIPAA, and many more. Time and cost savings, reclaim hundreds of hours and cut compliance costs by up to 85%. Invest in what truly matters for your business. And it is an all-in-one solution. Harness the power of a single platform for continuous control monitoring, robust security posture reporting, and seamless audit readiness. Don't wait. Turbocharge your business growth with Vanta's streamlined security compliance. Visit vanta.com slash UL to claim your $1,000 discount. That's vanta.com slash UL. The critical vulnerability in MoveIt transfer has been exploited by ransomware groups like CLOP and other threat actors, leading to remote code execution. Researchers found that the bug, initially thought to be a SQL injection vulnerability, could allow authenticated adversaries to deploy ransomware or perform other malicious actions. Software maker Progress has released patched versions to address the issue, but organizations yet to upgrade should disable HTTP and HTTPS traffic to mitigate risks. And uh, keep in mind that you want to be cautious about doing that, obviously. Everyone here should know that, just making sure. Fortinet released firmware updates addressing a critical pre-auth RCE in SSL VPN devices, urging admins to apply the security updates immediately. North Korean government-backed hackers have been impersonating journalists to gather strategic intelligence from academic and think tank groups. Sentinel Lab researchers linked the social engineering campaign to the North Korean advanced persistent threat group, Kamuski. The group targeted subscribers of NK News, an American website providing analysis about North Korea, using spoofed Google Doc links and weaponized Microsoft Office documents to capture victims' credentials and exfiltrate information. The Chinese government plans to further restrict airdrops despite Apple's changes, fearing its potential for spreading anti-government materials. The Cyberspace Administration of China issued a draft proposal targeting Bluetooth-enabled file-sharing services, which could force Apple to ensure users set their phone name 
to their real name. That is gross. Can you imagine Apple being forced to require people to have their phone set to their real name so they could track this stuff? Ugh, nasty. And what, what does that say to the population? I, I know the population is generally like, yay, this is all good for a good reason, but oh my goodness. How, how bad is it when it's like, we don't want you sharing things with yourself, with each other. You can't just drag and drop a file because it might be against the government. Isn't that a clear tell that the government is not a good thing? Hmm. Super annoying. Not that it's happening, but that the Chinese government is so popular still with Chinese citizens. But I guess if the alternative is a decaying democracy and rising authoritarianism and internal dissent, I guess this is better. I guess that's the argument, at least. French tax officials used AI to discover 20,000 undeclared swimming pools, resulting in 10 million, I believe that's francs. In additional tax revenue, the AI system developed by Google and Capgemini identifies pools in aerial images and cross-referenced them with land registry databases. The successful trial will now be extended nationwide. And this is another example of the transparency added by AI, which I talked about in a previous essay. I've got a link to that in the show, in the newsletter. And we've all anticipated deepfakes being used in politics, but now we have a direct and solid example. The DeSantis team ran a political ad with a picture of Trump embracing and seemingly kissing Fauci, like on the cheek and, you know, one of those business embraces. And the picture is fake. I'm not sure if it's actually AI generated or if it's just like Photoshop or some combination thereof, but either way, I'm sure it worked. And uh, yeah, it was fake, fake news. Apple is working on ways to share your identity securely via iPhone and watch. Arizona already accepts it for driver's licenses, but they're working on business integrations as well. And this has always been a dream of mine for situations like doctor's offices. Imagine tapping your phone instead of filling out like 13 forms of redundant information where they're asking for like, when did it ever hurt to pee? And uh, please write down your social security number 14 times. And don't worry, we'll, we'll be really careful with these pieces of paper. Just ridiculous. And I'm surprised this didn't go away like 15 years ago, but no, it's still here. And uh, digital information exchange is precisely the type of problem that only Apple seems to have the organization and oomph to push through with states and companies. So I personally can't wait for this. Technology news. Apple Vision announced. Apple announced the Apple Vision, and the general consensus seems to be that it's much better than people anticipated. But that price, though, like really expensive. You figure in tax, it's like four grand. And, uh, I heard a rumor that the, you charge extra for the headband. I think that might've been a joke though. Hope, hopefully that's a joke. Cause I would take it to like 5,000. Pretty sure that's a joke. Make in front of the, uh, the monitor charging extra for the stand when it was already six grand. And then the stand was a thousand. So $7,000 monitor. But yeah, I am like five times more impressed than I thought I would be. And I knew I would be impressed cause I'm a fanboy, but yeah, I, I thought this was going to be like a rough version, kind of like the Apple Watch V0 or V1. But uh, having had a week to think about it, I think it's going to do exactly what it needed to do, which is one, establish Apple as the leader in AR, VR. Two, get enough early adopters using it in business and creative industries. 
to create a, a few practical applications, and three, motivate people to take the space seriously and either use their devices like Apple devices or create alternatives. And it seems to me like they're on course to hit all three of these. For me, the biggest win was a completely new interface of sight plus hands. That was the bit that took it just from another entry into the space to a space-defining Apple entry into the space. Similar to iPhone entering the personal communication space in 2007, right? So Apple came out and they're like, we're just going to make a rectangle and it's going to be a touch interface. And then Apple looks at all the, you know, styluses and the hand controllers and everything of like current AR VR. And they're like, nope, we're just going to use eye tracking and finger touching. And it's instantly, obviously way better. According to everyone who's messed with it, like no one has said, oh, it's clunky and it doesn't work. At least that I could find. Everyone is saying it works really well, like frighteningly well. So really impressive. And, and that's what makes it an Apple level release is something you know, just way, way out ahead of everyone. And then the rest of it is just like, yeah, they did it in a better Apple way. It seems like the visuals are way better. It seems like the navigation is way better. The moving things side to side is way better. It, it looks clearer. Um, the UI UX is better, but you, you can expect these things from Apple, from the UI UX thing itself. But in terms of the core UI UX, which is, you know, the touch and the site that that's what set apart for me. And, uh, yeah, my expectation is that many rich people will buy one and love it. And many businesses will create apps on it that are more useful to them than any other platform. And that these two things combined will propel innovation on the second version. So once again, like the Apple watch, which is now the best selling watch in the world by far, by the way, it's like they, they just cut the, cut the space open. Right. There were smartwatches before the Apple Watch, but no one was buying them. And that's what I think is going to happen here. I'm definitely getting one for sure, and I anticipate using it for basically movies and games. And as a side note, I think games are about to become a huge part of Apple's future because they now just made it easy to port Windows games. Like I just found out they ported like Diablo 4 already to, to Mac based on something they released as like a side feature during the keynote. So, um, I think it's going to be huge for games. It's going to be huge for movie watching. Um, the best use case I can think of is sitting on a plane. You're sitting on a plane, you have an external battery, which will not just be the, whatever, two hours. You're going to have a bigger external battery to power the headset. And um, maybe, maybe you bring two batteries with you and you fly to Hawaii and you watch like three movies or four movies, but the movie looks like you're in a giant IMAX theater. Um, and I'm sure they'll have it so like you could wear it with AirPods as well. So it's not like uh, too loud for people around you. I assume that'll be part of the features, but yeah, I, I think this is going to be absolutely massive. Not because everyone's getting one because they're not because it's $4,000, but enough people will get them to like propel the space forward, which is exactly what they were trying to do. All right. Netflix saw a surge in signups after implementing password sharing restrictions in the U.S with nearly 100,000 daily signups on May 26th and 27th. And uh, yeah, so this is despite increased cancellations. The overall ratio of signups to cancels rose by 25% compared to previous 60-day periods. And uh, I predicted this around February or so, but now it's coming true. The release of ChatGPT by OpenAI has sparked a wave of enthusiasm for artificial intelligence 
leading to a boom in tech company valuations. The S&P 500 index has risen by 8% since ChatGPT's launch, with AI-exposed firms like NVIDIA experiencing significant growth. As I wrote back then, the stock market is basically, it's significantly based on optimism and pessimism. And my prediction was that investors would see all the stuff created by AI and realize, holy crap, there's a mountain of innovation that's about to happen from this. Therefore, they're going to start investing because they want to be part of that. Like, this is not rocket surgery, right? This is pretty easy to anticipate. Like, the stock market is based on anticipation. And when you see tons of new products being built on AI within, like, 45 minutes of a thing being launched, you know there's going to be massive amounts of investment and money there. So, well, there's going to be a lot of people making money there. Therefore, the investors come. And that is precisely what happened. And I called that in like February or something. I was talking to a friend who works at OpenAI, actually. And I was like, yeah, this is going to happen. And he's like, yeah, I don't think so. And then I explained it. And I was like, no, I, I really think so. I think here's why. Because it's all based on anticipation. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's true. That's probably going to happen. And sure enough. Um, what do we got here? So got a list of all the features that iOS 17 has. Um, <clears throat> if you are interested in betas and you want to text, let me know. Want to try out some of these fancy new uh, sticker and emoji features. Going to be building myself a whole set of stickers, like me doing a thumbs up, me doing a thumbs down. Like all the emoji faces I'm going to like try to do with stickers so that it's like a personalized emoji. Should be pretty cool. And, oh, yeah, you can now share passkeys which are hardware-tied strong authentication with groups, family members, and external providers. So you can now store them in one password, for example. Really cool that this functionality is going cross-platform. Human news. The pace of startup shutdowns, fire sales, and sharp business strategy changes is increasing as fresh capital from venture investors and bank loans become scarce and expensive. The venture boom of 2021 is struggling, with many startups running out of money and facing hard choices. The yearly internal rate of return for venture firms was negative 7% in the third quarter of 2022, which is the lowest value since 2009. All right, ideas and analysis, when to break rules versus follow them. So a few, few people, uh, this is the first week I'm launching on Beehive. So the newsletter went out on Beehive today. And a few people might be wondering why I moved to Beehive after talking so much garbage about Medium and other platforms. Haven't I been preaching for years that consolidating on new hyped platforms is dangerous? Isn't this doing exactly that? Yes and yes, kind of. First, there are always exceptions to rules, and those exceptions don't negate the rules. In fact, they often bring them into focus. In this case, I've been wanting to move platforms for years. I've been waiting to do this for years. With the pressure of too many platforms and legacy cruft building up over time, it was like a Yellowstone supervolcano ready to blow. So I've been waiting for ghosts to get their shit together, basically, which they haven't yet. I was waiting for a new up-and-comer to come and replace ghosts so I could move to them, and that hasn't happened. So then Beehive comes, and their pedigree is from an extremely successful similar type of company. They have a tiny and super efficient team and they ship product like nobody I've ever seen. Like every week they're releasing tons of products. So they have lots of markers indicating that they are a rare gem, like a top 1% of 1% of like startups and engineering teams and the pedigree. 
And then there's the product, which has a combination of simplicity and functionality that I've never seen. They basically became an existential threat for MailChimp and ConvertKit and WordPress overnight, which is massively impressive. And finally, I acknowledge the risk that I've been talking about this whole time. Like that risk didn't go away, but I have an easy export option out of the platform, which I've already done. And I'll be ready to pivot if necessary, if they get bought by like, whatever, someone reprehensible in the future. To me, the top priority was getting out of where I was, getting somewhere other than on five to six different platforms with lots of different duct tape and silly string. And this has been a successful way to do that. And there are lots of downsides to the move, namely a million different 404s for various crufty functionality that I've just sprinkled in over like the last 20 years. So I've got custom URL breakage and all sorts of stuff. But the main goal of being able to quickly create content in a unified way, using a product from a known team that doesn't seem bent on bait and switch, feels really great. And I hope you enjoy the new platform as much as I have so far, and that this continues for both of us. And feel free to ask more questions in the UL chat. Notes. Yeah, super excited to get this first episode out on the new platform. Big advantage is actually that the blog post and the newsletter are the same thing. So no more delay between one and the other. Uh, that's just really, really nice. And the formatting will be perfectly matched. And of course it looks great on phones and on email and on desktop and on mobile. It's just, yeah, you can't know how happy this makes me because that's kludge that I've been having to deal with. Plus the editor's infinitely easier to work with than MailChimp's, which will save me massive time in creating the show. And it's probably one-tenth of the cost. That's what's crazy. All this better stuff and it's one-tenth of the cost and I'll have more time to get the podcast out on time as well, which I'm going to be prioritizing from now on. Like lately we've had multiple days, even a week of delay, not okay. I want to have the podcast come out either at the same time or within like an hour or two of the newsletter. Um, ideally before, which is basically at the same time. So that that's going to be a real priority for me to have synchronized release. All right. Discovery, small developer, automated program generation using GPT-4, but rather than just write a function for code or a basic app, you can give it complex requirements and it'll build all the separate components and stitch them together. This is insane. It's probably the biggest AI project of the week. And, uh, it's basically like GPT-4 plus auto GPT. It's like you give it goals and it just like writes all the stuff and you can give it complex, um, requirements. You can actually give it like a markdown file telling it exactly what you want, like a requirement stock, and it will build a complete app with all the various components all stitched together based on the requirements app. Huge, huge advance for code development with AI. Small developer, S-M-O-L, not S-M-A-L-L. And Gorilla, an API-powered LLM model. This is a UC Berkeley and Microsoft researchers project. It introduced Gorilla, an API augmented Llama 7B model that outperforms. You got to watch out for these, like what metric are they using? But anyway, it says it outperforms GPT-4, ChatGPT, and Claude. Gorilla leverages self-instruct fine-tuning and retrieval techniques to accurately select from a large set of tools expressed through APIs and documentation, improving LLM's knowledge and reasoning abilities. Super excited. Got a link here to the website, the GitHub repo, and a Jupyter notebook that uses it. And 
Next story here. LLMs are good at playing you. Get phones out of schools now. Quick VPN setup with AWS LightSail and WireGuard. Mental liquidity. 12 threat modeling methods. Buy well, buy once. And the recommendation of the week, ask yourself if you're ever rude to friends or anyone you care about and value. If the answer is yes, look out for a lesser version of yourself offering an excuse like, oh, it's only when I'm mad. It's only in a business context. It's only when they really push me. Allow me to offer that this is never okay. Disconnecting is fine. Dialing back a relationship is fine. But rudeness to friends is never okay. Directness, hard talk, even talk that can cause pain and offense for the better purpose of improvement of the relationship or improvement of the friend, sure. But not rudeness, not being mean, not being an asshole. Don't let the fact that you're nice most of the time or you're really nice most of the time give you an excuse to be an asshole sometimes. That's just weakness. It's you giving excuses for bad behavior. Find a way to extricate this from your personality. And if you have a friend who does this, maybe share this with them. The aphorism for the week, the creative adult is the child who survived. The creative adult is the child who survived. Ursula K. Le Guin. Unsupervised Learning is produced and edited by Daniel Meisler on a Neumann U87 AI microphone using Hindenburg. Intro and outro music is by Zombie with a Y. And to get the text and links from this episode, sign up for the newsletter version of the show at danielmeisler.com slash newsletter. We'll see you next time. Thank you.